So he believed that uh, the eternal state was largely marked by holiness and happiness. He found those twin doctrines when we, you know, when the fully when the bodily resurrection happens and the kingdoms fully come, we experience holiness and happiness. That would be his two key motifs of heaven. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. Looking forward to talking about uh, a great hymn writer and more uh, with our guest today. Yeah, this, th- many many of our listeners will be familiar with Isaac Watts' hymns, uh, even, if, even if you aren't uh, certain of who wrote them no, no doubt you've heard and sung many of his hymns and this little book deals with the piety of Isaac Watts it's entitled holiness and happiness the piety of Isaac Watts and it's edited and, and there's a little introduction in it written by our guest today Britt Stokes Britt is a pastor in Charleston South Carolina Britt thanks for joining us today thank, thank you all for having me I'm I'm uh I'm overjoyed to be here well, we're glad to have you. It is an interesting topic. We don't often think about the men behind the hymns that we sing. And so I want to start, sort of begin there. Um, you explain in the book that there is more to Isaac Watts than the fact that he's simply a great hymn writer. And so the question I wondered is, what what should readers know about him in order to understand his piety? And maybe maybe you can even start with a few on his early years. Yeah, so Watts is a very interesting figure. He obviously came to prominence. His his true genius was hymn writing, but he grew up in sort of an English Puritan background and sort of serves as a transitional figure between those Puritans and the what we would term a classic evangelical. So Watts has a, a very key role that we often don't realize, uh, and his English Puritan background had a major effect on his hymn writing and then Obviously, as you mentioned, he he uh, over his lifetime was an expansive writer on a number of different things, philosophy, theology. Uh, he wrote poetry uh, all the way down to classic theological works, as we would put it. And so his uh, was able to think through his entire corpus of writing and how he approaches the spiritual life. It's not necessarily it's something that you sort of capture as you read. The entirety of his work, which is typically in six volumes, somewhere over 40, 40 books that he wrote over his lifetime. So, um, Watts is I mean, even your brief description tells us this is a a, a precocious man uh, of of uh, many abilities, and yet in one sense he he lives his life kind of on the margins of the mainstream, a little bit outside of it, though certainly could have had a fabulous career on the inside of it. How does that, how does his, and maybe, and you say a few things about this in your introduction, just with regard to the formative years in his youth, his father's example, um, how does that, how does that shape the kind of man he is, uh, especially in terms of his piety and devotion, which comes through in a lot of the, in so many of the selections that you include in this volume? Yeah, it's a very good question. His father was a devout Puritan a dissenter, was actually arrested for uh, being involved in that uh, period of time. There was the ejection of ministers during that period, and um, it was just a, a, a really challenging period for the church. So that is deeply embedded in Watts' thought. You get a lot of uh, what we call classic Puritan ideas that come through with him. And then his approach to the spiritual life 
I think is a big part of that, a big part of that background, a big part of his raising is sort of that focus on individual uh, piety, that focus on an individual relationship with God. Sometimes that generation often gets deemed for that or you know, they sort of say is there is a uh, there is a such a focus on the individual piety that sometimes we say maybe they forgot the larger congregational aspect of it or those things. But a huge part of it, it comes out in his hymn writing. And then um, he's involved in a lot of different controversies during that time that sort of shape it as well. So his life was marked by controversy. His life is marked not him personally, but the world around him, the English Enlightenment. So he comes out of this uh, persecution into the Enlightenment, uh, which are different flavors of that, but it's uh, the Enlightenment was a massive uh, shift in thinking that he was wrestling with and sort of was standing alone in that. He came a little bit before Edwards and some of the other figures that had a lot to do with that, uh, Christians thinking through that period. So how how I'm thinking of a contemporary of his, someone like John Locke, how, mm-hmm. how would he... What what would the trend be in Locke and how would how would Watts maybe be resisting it? Yeah, probably the biggest way he resisted Locke. Locke, Locke obviously had issues with uh, total depravity, right? And that was sort of the big issue. Watts uh, was polemical in that sense. He wrote a massive work that dealt with, uh, it's entitled The Ruin and Recovery of Mankind. And so he would he found value in Locke, but at the same time, he dissented from him in a number of ways, primarily being original sin. Locke was the one that sort of began to question that on a mainstream front. And that that sin was a, is a massive thread, the heightened view of sin. And Watts had a very high view of sin, which comes obviously from that Puritan background. And he tried to tried to carry that through. What's interesting about Watts, he wrote a polemical work on that, but it was it was probably 18 years before Edwards wrote his and what makes Watts unique, and I think what some people, if you begin to read him outside of his hymns, may misunderstand Watts a little bit, is that he is sort of in the throes of the Enlightenment and did not have a ton of time, time to process it because he's trying to be the voice of the of the church during that period. So he didn't have the luxury of Edwards and others that came just a little bit behind him where things were fleshed out and ideas had had a little bit more time to be thought through. Right. When you talk about Watts's piety, you you are I mean, it's in the title holiness and happiness. But you you say it th- this way. The main feature of Watts approach to the spiritual life is his emphasis on holiness and happiness. What What's the doctrinal motivation behind that? How why and, and why do holiness and happiness stand out as the sort of twin emphases of of Isaac Watts's piety? Yeah, that's a great question. That's sort of the genesis of it all that you begin to pick up in Watts. He actually saw the spiritual life as eternal life begun. So it's it, we would he didn't use this phrase, but the already but not yet, which has become a common way of understanding it. So he believed that uh, the eternal state was largely marked by holiness and happiness. He found those twin doctrines when we you know, when the fully when the bodily resurrection happens and the kingdoms fully come, we experience holiness and happiness. That would be his two key motifs of heaven. Knowledge and love uh, are part of part of heaven as well. They help uh, make those two doctrines grow. But because holiness and happiness is the eternal state is sort of the his, the way he thought about the eternal state. He believed those began in the here and now and the Christians experienced that. Also, so that's the doctrinal basis from it. The contextual basis from that is that he's also dealing with. He comes from that Puritan background where where holiness is a, is a major theme, something that's talked about doctrinally. 
But happiness, again, he's affected by his context like many historical figures. He's dealing with that term happiness, which was a major issue during the Enlightenment period, where it began to be understood in terms of individual, you know, sort of the uh, the, the, the American dream comes out of that, right? So he's trying to he's trying to put turn that back towards a theological God-centered uh, approach, if that makes sense. Two, two things occur to me. One, his health. Uh, which was reputedly not robust by any measure. And then also his the persecuted condition of his life as a nonconformist. How did the did I, in your re, in your reading of Watts and your work on Watts, you've done a and you've done a doctoral work on Watts. Does this is this part of what fa- forms that heavenly mindedness? I'm thinking of even like a major treatise of his on the world to come. And even in the selections on piety here, and even picking these themes, these are these are both eschatological realities. This isn't this isn't like faith and hope, uh, which are good uh, and they have their place, but these will fall away. But these are the abiding things. Does does his context as a nonconformist and maybe as a frail man in your reading does that bear on this heavenly mindedness? I, I, without question, that's very astute of you to pick up on that. I've been in Watts now for three or four uh, years, still in him heavily. And without question, as a Watts scholar, I believe that's true. I mean, he pastored John. Most folks don't know this. He pastored John Owen's church, the same church that Owen pastored and uh, became he got to the point where he was so ill that they had to bring on a co-pastor. And then for the rest of his life, he 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 was there some, but largely he he was alone Uh, He moved in with a family there in England and he wrote and he was ill a lot. We get a lot of it from his letters. So there's no question that he was very acquainted with his uh, with death, with those thoughts. And I think there's no doubt that it bared on his mind. And uh, certainly growing up in that context where he saw uh, people suffer for the faith is a, a major part of it. So all throughout his writings, the work that you mentioned was a major, major piece of his corpus that was very popular in his days. It, it was broadly uh, disseminated across the world, really. I think he had a, it's no doubt that that's a major part of how he began to understand the spiritual life here and now. As a past, I'm going to ask, I'm asking you this as a pastor and a scholar uh, who's put together some of these, how, how do you think, uh, especially these selections on death and the and the the future life, uh, how would they? How can they help readers now? Yeah, I think there's a. I think one of the there's probably a couple things here. First of all, I think they, when the past, we are able to deal with different contexts. So Watts is in a context that uh, could be helpful for us because it's arguable: are we headed back to? that a similar context as Christians, uh, particularly in the West. So I think it's helpful to to touch base with someone that was in a little bit different context and maybe has something to say about where we're headed. The second part of it is, is that I've, I've, it helped me as I thought through it and wrote through Watts extensively, and you're deep in this, to think that there is a world to come. And I tell my congregations and often people that I teach that Christians generally live with an eternal perspective. Uh, it's you know, you get it even in Hebrews, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't have, we have, we live for a cities to come, right? And Watts understands that and he brings it to bear on our life in a way that I think is incredibly helpful, uh, or at least it was to me. Bert, I'm always curious when uh, someone does the kind of work that you've done in this book um, and, the, and the further scholarship that you've engaged in on Isaac Watts, how, how is it that you became 
particularly interested in in studying Watts? Did you come at him simply on the basis of appreciating his hymns? Um, and and what is what has sort of kept you drawn to Isaac Watts? You mentioned that you've been you've been kind of taking a deep dive for at least three years now. Yeah, it's a great, great question. It's interesting. I stumbled into Watts beginning uh, in my doctoral studies, actually was reading, a, this is might sound crazy, I was reading a, a book that detailed the library of Patrick Henry, one of the American founding fathers, and he had a volume of Isaac Watts in his library. And it dawned on me then, I knew Watts from his hymns, but it dawned on me then, this is a man that impacted people, scores of people on both sides of the Atlantic. And then when you begin to deal, dive into him, you realize there's not, we don't know much about him out there. And then the further you get into Watts, you realize he's an absolutely fascinating figure. The The world of Christianity, a lot revolved around Watts, and he sort of stands alone in this period of time. Most people don't know this, but he he almost single-handedly funded the libraries at Yale and Harvard uh, with his books. He he was a major player in that. He was a liter- literary uh, publisher. He published one of Edwards' famous works. I mean, he just had a lot. He was a he was a big figure, and so it's kept me very intrigued. And his thought is interesting because probably from a more intellectual standpoint, his engagement with the early stages of the Enlightenment, which you know we're experiencing some changes in our in our culture now that are that are. Uh, as as massive, but I don't think folks understand how much of a shift in the paradigms and how much uh, pastors and theologians during that time wrestle with them. So that is a very fascinating part to me. How is he dealing with largely one of the biggest intellectual changes to ever come about? So it's been it's been a it's been interesting to figure out and see. I've learned a lot from how he's interacted with a lot of changes and what. So I've learned more from Watts from things that he may have done wrong sometimes as well, too, which is why history is is very fascinating to me. So any particular favorites, um, any any play if someone if someone wants to get a little bit beyond just seeing his name at the bottom of the page in a hymnal and read some of the significant things that he has written. And and one of the points that I think we would underscore is that he, he wrote he wrote significant works in his time uh what's a good place to start or 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 what's been your favorite yeah he's he's got a number of works that stand out to me one is a guide to prayer it's been reprinted he was dealing with the the there's controversy over prayer but it's a very very helpful incredibly helpful manual so to prayer watts was great because he wrote from a pastoral perspective all of this stuff isn't isn't you know sometimes edwards is uh folks can get lost in that but watts is good because all of this stuff most of his stuff is accessible. Another one that's really great that I'm working on now that's uh, that's to come, so to speak, is he wrote a work on the love of God for the Christian's love of God that's incredibly helpful. Uh, really, really, really wonderful work. So uh, that'll be maybe coming down the pipe later. And then, as James mentioned, A World to Come was one of his fantastic works. Just really uh, vivid, beautiful details. You've got a hymn writer that details the the eternal state, and it is it just makes it come alive in a very interesting and helpful way. I think. Well, Brett, I think I think your book and the the selections that you've curated here uh, for readers are should also. I'll I'll add this in, Jonathan. You asked him about Watts books, but I'll I'll add the book edited by Brett Stokes. Uh, the, ver- the various selections and this should whet the appetite for uh, the more long form uh, version of Watts maybe to follow. Um, 
really glad you put this together. Uh, I think I, I can see this book. I, maybe this is your intention. I can see this book serving as as devotion as devotional reading. It's it's a it's a nice nicely produced small book. It can sit on the bedside table or near your favorite chair for coffee in the morning and and really uh, move your meditations uh, in in a godly and and heavenly direction. Really grateful for your work putting this together. Yeah, thank you for that. That's exactly right. I really appreciate it, James. Brett, thanks for joining us today. We, we appreciate you giving us some of your time, and we really uh, would commend this uh, these selections and, and this little work to our listeners. And so we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. It was my pleasure to be here. Well, James, this is a welcome little volume. It's worth reading, uh, worth understanding better that many Christians have heard of because of his hymn writing, but I don't think they they appreciate the scope of of his his work and of his life. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this is a nice little on ramp uh, to considering Watts his greater contribution, especially his especially his works of Christian piety that could be really useful for Christians now, just seeking to have their their hearts stirred and their minds focused. And uh, I think that Brit Stotes does a good job uh, in in culling out just some some really tasty morsels. Maybe that's the a way to describe uh, this book. Yeah, it's a uh, taste. It's kind of a little sampling. And this is in a series, Profiles in Reformed Spirituality, uh, published by uh, Reformation Heritage Books. And uh, again, the, I think the whole series has been has been really, really excellent in achieving that very aim of Reformed Spirituality, what it, what it looks like, introductions, but also samples of, of uh, original text. And uh, so I think I think this little book will be, I would say, great gift. Um, it, it's the kind of gift you could give to a to a young Christian or to a Christian who isn't um, very literary, perhaps, and you want to encourage them to read more, but you don't want to overwhelm them. Uh, this would be this would be a great book to kind of get get the heart and mind moving in the right direction, but in a in a an accessible and non intimidating format. Well, because of our friends at RHB, we have a few of these copies to give away. And so if you'd like to enter to win a copy of this book, Holiness and Happiness, The Piety of Isaac Watts, you can do that by going to placefortruth.org, clicking on the Theology on the Go link, and there's a, a spot there for you to enter your information uh, for the opportunity to win one of these copies that we have. If you're able to support the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, we rely on your financial support. You can do that at placefortruth.org or also at alliancenet.org. There are donate buttons at the top of both of those sites. And if you're able to spread the word about Theology on the Go, if you know people who might be interested in it, please uh, pass it along and pass along to us any suggestions or feedback that you have. If you're able to rate and review the podcast on uh, whatever vehicle you download it, that would be a big help to us. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>